Don't get nervous. Amen. In the word of God, good. Amen. How many of you, this series is helping you? We're talking about an elevated mindset, changing our mindset from our little lowly thinking to get in a heavenly perspective. Amen. We need to think differently. Every one of us in this room need to think differently. I was talking in our huddle with our team this morning. All of us have crutches that we rely on. When we should go to Jesus, instead we go over here, right? So that's really what this, this series is all about, Let, letting Jesus be our focus, amen? It will elevate your perspective, amen? I want to see things the way that Jesus sees things, amen? So key verse, and I'm, I'm a little bit, just for our media team, I'm a little bit out of order here on these verses. I know Erica will do a great job keeping up. Don't you appreciate the media team putting the scriptures up? All right. So I'm going to go to Colossians 3, 1 and 2 first. This is kind of the key verse, and this is in the Message uh, Bible, and this is kind of our, our key verse for this uh, series, which we're calling Elevated Thinking. And today's uh, title is going to be considered Jesus and really out of Hebrews 12, but we're going to go to, I just want to read a couple of verses in foundation for this uh, teaching and series. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right around you or right in front of you, but look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. See things from his perspective. Anybody ever had a change of perspective in prayer? Have you ever gone to prayer thinking one way and come out thinking another? Isn't it good when God changes our minds, our messed up thinking, and we get light? You know, the kingdom of God is called the kingdom of light. And that would literally translate, when you look at it in, in the original languages, it would, that, light, that word light would, would translate wisdom or truth. And you know what Satan's kingdom is called? The kingdom of darkness. And it would literally translate foolishness and confusion, right? How many of you ever think foolish thoughts? How many of you ever get confused? That's why Satan hates prayer. Because prayer helps us to get clarity, the clarity of God. Prayer shines the light that brings truth to our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Jesus said when he comes, he will do what? He will lead you and guide you into truth. He turns the light on so you can see clearly. Amen? How many of you want a new way of thinking? Uh, a new way of thinking about your husband. A new way of thinking about your wife. A new way of thinking about your boss. A new way of thinking about your job. A new way of thinking about your state of life. Where has God positioned you? Amen? You know that, that Jesus has a purpose for you. You're not here on accident. God's got a very clear plan, plan and path for your life. It's hidden. And sometimes it's lost in the fog and the dark and the confusion, right? Jesus turns the light on. Jesus brings clarity. That's why Satan hates prayer. Satan hates prayer because it elevates you above his lies. 
It elevates you above his confusion. It elevates you above the foolishness so that your mind begins to, to conform to the mind of Christ. Paul said, we have the mind of Christ, the mind of the spirit of God. We have access to that. Don't live in this little foolish world. Don't shuffle around here, feet to, uh, shuffling your feet, eyes to the ground. No, look up. And see Jesus. That's what we're talking about. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Amen? Elevated thinking. The mind of Christ. The Spirit of God operating, leading us. We, we, as um, human beings, are dominated by our flesh. We're dominated by our flesh. We, ide we identify with this world. We're, the Bible says in Ephesians, under the control of the prince of the power of the air, fulfilling the desires of our flesh. This is what Ephesians teaches. Ephesians teaches us this. Before Christ, that's our condition. Controlled by the prince of the power of the earth. Living life to fulfill the desires of our flesh. But now that we are born again, we are to be controlled by the spirit of God. And we have to make that decision. Will we live to the flesh or will we live to the spirit? Will we continue in the ways of the sons of disobedience under the prince of the power of the air, under his control, under his dominion, in the darkness, under his foolish kingdom, or will we allow the Spirit of God to transform our hearts and our minds to see things the way that God desires for us to see? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. All right? So now let's go to our text, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 2. We're going to read verse 2. And three of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So we need to look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the suffering. What, what was the joy? I think two things. Number one, I think it was the pleasure of the Father above all. And, and number two was the inheritance with the saints. You and I. The kingdom of God. That was the joy and motivation before him. That's why he endured the cross. It was the will of the Father. That he would bring many sons and daughters to righteousness. And so he endured the cross. We're encouraged to look to this Jesus. We're encouraged in verse 3, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Look to Jesus. Consider him. Two very distinct words. The, the, the first word when it says to look to Jesus is, is a, a far, 
excuse me, excuse my Greek. <laughs> Aphoreo, Aphoreo, there you go. I think that's right. That's South Texas version of it anyway. Aphoreo. That's the word there when it says to look to Jesus. Aphoreo, look to Jesus. This is what happens when my wife comes in the room. Right? Hopefully we're getting some brownie points this morning. Here's what it means. It means to turn the eyes away from other things and to fix them on something. Here's the picture. I'm watching television in the living room and Rachel watches, walks in the room. <laughs> Is that good, Norman? Hey, you did a great job today, Norman, too. Thank you. Thank you. You're looking at something and you turn your eyes and fix them on something else. That's the word here. Turn your eyes from the world to Jesus. Turn your eyes on your own little kingdom and ego and agenda and look to Jesus. To turn from something and fix your eyes upon another thing. That's the word here. Look to Jesus. All of your philosophies, all of your religion, all of these human traditions, all of these schemes that are designed by the prince of the power of the air to keep you under his control, look away from them and look to Jesus. That's the first word, aphoreo. The second word, to consider him. The second word is to consider him, and it is the Greek word analog. Gizzo, analogizzo. I think I got that one right the first time. And again, that's my South Texas interpretation of these Greek words. Analogizzo. What, what does that sound like? Sound like anything, any word you know? Analyze. Exactly. That is the word, same root from which our English word analyze is derived from. Analyze him. Consider him. It means to think over, to ponder, or to contemplate. Look to Jesus. Turn away from everything else and look to him. And then consider him, contemplate him, analyze who he is. This is the instruction that Hebrews gives us. Consider Christ. Look to him. I'm convinced that this is the key to everything. As I gave uh, in definition last week that, that from, from David Cook, when he's asked, what does it mean to be a Christian? His, his definition is this. To be a Christian means to behold him, to gaze upon him, to look at him, to behold him, and then to beam forth his light, or I'm sorry, then, then to become like him, and then to beam forth his light. That's really the totality of our Christian walk summed up. Behold Jesus. Gaze upon him. Contemplate. Look steadfastly upon him so that we will become like him that we might beam forth his light in this world. See, here, here's a pattern. It's real simple. All right, write this down. The first step, if we're going to have transformed minds, if we're going to live the way that God wants us to live, is to desire Jesus. Just desire him. 
Step one. You know what happens next? There's a, there's a natural thing that happens when we do that. It's called spiritual hunger. When we set our eyes on Christ, it stirs within us a hunger to know him more. It desires an intimacy, right? This, it, it's the same thing. You, you looked at your wife, and it stirred a hunger on the inside, right? There was a desire, right? What, what's happened is strong relationship. Devotion is the next step. Devotion. I am devoted to my wife, right? I don't want another woman. She's enough. She's more than enough. Yes. Hear what I'm saying, not what you think I'm saying. All right? <laughs> when you fix your eyes on Jesus, it produces a spiritual hunger in you that will produce a devotion to him. And from this comes step number four, eternal life. This is how eternal life comes to us. Steadfastness towards Christ, producing a spiritual hunger in us, producing a devotion in us that brings us to a place of eternal life. Isn't that good? In any other way outside of this will produce striving, performance, and spiritual burnout. How do you avoid getting burnout of coming to the church week in and week out and driving a van? Starts with keeping your eyes on Jesus. How do you keep from getting burnt out, being on the worship team week in and week out? You keep your eyes on Jesus. Creates a hunger on the inside of you, brings you to a place of devotion, and abundant life proceeds from that. The life that God intended for us to live. Amen? Isn't that good? This eternal life, this abundant life, is sustained freedom. It's joy unspeakable. It's peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen? That's abundant life. And it just simply starts with us beholding Jesus. Beholding him. All right? I, I want to show you this. Let's, let's look in Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. I've been quoting this scripture a couple of times through this series. I quote this, this, this uh, a few of these verses I quote often. We're going to look at two passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope... We use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, look at this, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. What does this mean? Moses went into the presence of God. He received the law of God. And the Bible tells us that when that happened, when he, when he came down off of the mountain, he was glowing. 
He was glowing. There was a glow. He was radiating light from being in the presence of God. I believe this is a Christophany, a theophany, where Moses sees God, as it says in the Bible, face to face. It's a face to face encounter with God. And he comes away from that radiant, glowing. What did he come down to? Idol worship. He encounters Jesus, and he comes down to, to people who are doing what really our, our whole series is all about. They have been carried away with vain philosophies, deceit, the rudimentary, elementary things of this world, the spirit, the Bible calls it the spirit of the age. They had been carried off of this. They, they had melted down their necklaces and earrings, and they're in idol, idol worship. They're worshiping a cow, of all things. Really, it shows our, our foolishness of worshiping anything other than Christ. You might as well worship a gold cow. Right? So Moses comes down. He gets mad. He breaks the, the, the tablets, goes back up. He encounters God. God gives the, the commands again. But the Bible talks about how this glow was fading. It was fading. You know why? I think because of the weakness of the flesh. David Cook, in that sermon that he preached here back in September of 2020, he, he talked about the, the need for us to be refilled and the fact that we are leaky pots. said we're crackpots and we leak. And that's why in Ephesians when it says do not be drunk with wine but be drunk in the spirit or be filled with the spirit. That word to be drunk or filled with the spirit means to be being filled. It's an ongoing thing. We need continual renewal. We need to continually be filled. Amen. Just because you got the Holy Ghost back in 1979 you need to get filled again. You need to get filled today. And you'll need to get filled tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. We are to be being filled with the Spirit of God. But this thing on Moses was fading. And so he put a veil over his face. And the indication is that he put it there so that the people wouldn't recognize that the glory of God on him was fading away. It was a cover-up. See, as long, it, it, it scared the people, one, but two, he didn't want them to know that this glory was fading because there's an indication that he had been with God. It elevated Moses a little bit in the eyes of the people. And he did not want them to see that this was fading away. Right? So he put a veil over his face. Now let's, let's read on. Let's read in verse 14. So it says, so verse 13 he puts the veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. You see that? Verse 14. But their minds were blinded. For unto this day, the same veil remains unlifted. And the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil was taken away. How? In Christ. How is the veil, that veil that Moses put over his face to hide fading glory, how is that taken away? In Christ. 
in Christ. But even to this day, verse 15, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. A veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, check this out. Here's the key. When one turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. You know that when Jesus was crucified, when he died and gave up the ghost, the Bible says that that veil, which is, is, is said to be 12 inches thick, if not thicker than that, a curtain 12 inches thick to keep the common man from coming into the Holy of Holies, was torn from top to bottom. And you know what was revealed? The ark wasn't even there. The glory of the old had passed away. And now Christ had made way into the Holy of Holies. His flesh being the veil, the Bible teaches us, that was torn so that we could have entrance into the presence of God. And that's why the writer of Hebrews would say, come boldly to the throne of grace, right? That you might find help in your time of need. Because of what Christ has done, we can go right into the presence of God. Our worship experiences on Sunday mornings or at home or wherever you're doing it, when we worship, we go right into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done in his body on the cross. That flesh was torn to make way. The body of sin destroyed that hindered us from going into the presence of God. And now we who are in, in Christ by faith have access to God. That's the picture here. Christ is the way. He's the only way. Right? Your Dr. Phil can't help you get to Jesus. Your psychology can't help you get there. Your philosophy can't get there. The rudimentary elements of this world can't get you there. The way we know God is through Jesus. The only way that we can access God is through Jesus. He was pierced in five places. Two in his hands, two in his feet, and once in his side, the Bible tells us. Right? Just, 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 uh, uh, just kind of preach a little bit here. Let's just kind of make this fun. If you're weak, you can come to him through his hands. He'll lift you up. If you're proud, you can come to him through his feet. If you'll humble himself at his feet, you can come into the presence of God. Humble your proud, arrogant ways. If it's intimacy that you need, you can come right in through his side. He has made a way. His flesh was torn that we would have access to the presence of a living God. Amen? By his stripes. Amen? He was wounded for our transgressions. See, all that Christ suffered on that cross was so that we could be restored back to God that the problem of our sin could be dealt with, that our soul sickness could be remedied, that we could have relationship, right relationship with God. This is the gospel. And it's what the people of, uh, of Israel couldn't see. They were looking to Moses and that glory had faded away. And so they could not access God. They, 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 they bumbled and fumbled and, and just kind of clumsily felt after God, but they were never able to find him because they were doing it through the striving that we mentioned earlier. Right? I'm going to climb the ladder. And this is the issue that, that Apostle Paul is dealing with with this Colossian church. The, the Colossians, these young Christian believers at the church of Colossae are beginning to try to go back to that system. And he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't let anybody fool you with this Jew, Jewish asceticism. 
and not after Christ. Because Christ is the only way that you're ever going to have a relationship with God. All right? So how, how listen, there, there's wrong theology out there that's taught these days that says Israel is going to have relationship with God apart from Christ. It didn't happen in the Old Testament. It doesn't happen under the New Testament. You know how Israel comes to God? The, the key is right there in this verse. This is what it's talking about. Verse 16, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, when one turns to Jesus, the veil is taken away. The only way that this veil between Israel and God will be destroyed is when they turn to Christ. Period. Full stop. So you've, you guys have been educated in, in British, haven't you? Everybody knows what full stop is now, most of you anyway. If you, if you don't know what full stop means, go back and watch the rest of this, the, the previous messages in this series and you'll, you'll understand. All right. So the veil was taken away when one turns to the Lord. Verse 16 tells us verse 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Now look at verse 18. This is where I've been trying to get to. But we all with unveiled face. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. James tells us, he, he likens the Word of God to a mirror, right? And he says, when we look into the mirror, we see what? The image of Jesus. This Bible from Genesis to Revelation presents to us Christ. It is a revelation. I, I met with a, a business guy here in town this week, and I was, I was sitting at his desk, and the opportunity for me to share the Word of God with him came open and he asked me, he said, do y'all do teach the Old Testament or the New Testament? I said, we believe the whole Bible and we believe it all points to Jesus. And I explained that to him. This entire book points to Christ. The, pop, the, the, the prophets and, and the, the patriarchs were pointing to Christ, right? Now the, the apostles point to Christ. Genesis points to Jesus. The books of the prophets point to Jesus. The Psalms point to Jesus. The Song of Solomon points to Jesus. Revelation points to Jesus. This whole book from cover to cover points us to Jesus. It, it is a revelation of Christ unto us. It's revealing the Son of God to us. Amen? And so when we look into this, it's a mirror and we see a reflection of Jesus, right? And what we are seeing is the reality of who we are in Christ, Whatever you learn about Jesus in this book is an explanation, a description, a definition of who you are in him. Right? Peter said he has made us to be partakers of his divine nature. Right? David said, I'm, I'm, I, I, I have no rest until I awaken in his likeness. Why did Christ come and die on a cross? So that we could become the sons of God. So that the nature of God could be in us by the power of his spirit. It says that right here in this 18th verse, right? Let's break this down real quick. Verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, the veil has been taken away through Jesus. And because of that, we look into this mirror and we see the glory of the Lord. And then it says we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
We look into the Bible, we see Jesus, we are transformed into that same image by the power of God's spirit, which is operating in us. That's how this works. Now, let's go into chapter four. Now, we, again, we, we need to make this clear. The chapter breaks are not originally in the original letters that were written there. Chapter breaks were put in here in the last couple hundred years as the Bible began to be printed. But when this letter was written, this was one continuous document. So there was no break in the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4. All right, so in chapter 4, let's read on. This is building on what, what has just been taught. Moses put the veil over his face. That veil has, is taken away through Christ. And as we look into the word of God, we are changed to be like Jesus by the power of God's spirit. Therefore, verse 1, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have, un, we have I'm sorry, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. That, that word shame there is the darkness and the confusion and the foolishness of, of the kingdom of darkness. We have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in the craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully. I'm not going to get into this. We may do it here in the next couple of weeks, but I don't want to get too deep in this, but I want to mention this. Go, go back and, and look at, at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, about the empty philosophies, the high-sounding nonsense, human thinking, and spiritual powers. It correlates to what we just read. It correlates. Right? The shameful things. Not walking in the craftiness. This, these are those same, we're not walking in the rudimentary elements of this world. One of the words, and so these are two different Greek words, but in the definition of both of these words is this, this Jewish sophistry. When you look at in the, in the, the Bible uh, dictionaries, and it's defining these biblical words, the same word used, I'm sorry, a different word in, in Colossians 2 and 8, and this word here in First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, they're, they're both dealing with these Jewish sophistries, these philosophies that don't lead to Christ, but they are foolish, crafty, and deceitful doctrines. He says, we're not walking in the craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, we are commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the, gods, the God of this age has blinded, who, who do not believe, least the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, check this out, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Right? Now, we, we started there in verse 2, talking about how we have renounced the, th the hidden things of shame. Those are, as I said, the things of the kingdom of darkness, the things of foolishness. But Jesus... Here in, what, what verse are we on? Verse 4. Lost my place. Yeah, right there. It says, the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, shines on them. That, that word light there is wisdom, truth. So in verse 2, the kingdom of darkness is declared. And we've renounced all of those shameful things. And then in, in this verse... In verse 4, the kingdom of light is announced. It's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, 
It says that it shines on them. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves. That's important. We do not preach ourselves. It's not a message of look at the preacher and what he has done. Let, let me give you my self-help philosophy. Let me tell you how I've done it. That's not good preaching. Good preaching says, look what the Lord has done. Good preaching says, look what Christ has done in me. Right? Look what Jesus is doing in us. It's Christ doing the work. We're not here to preach ourselves. We're preaching Jesus. Right? If I preach Chad, you are without hope. Just ask my wife. You're looking at a man, she has to get on me to get my socks. I like to take my socks off next to the bed at night. Seven days a week, go pick your socks up. I am a faulty man with clay feet and stinky socks. There's no hope in me. You name your favorite preacher on TV, there's no hope in him. It ain't about us. It ain't about our denominations. It ain't about our philosophies. There's no help and hope in any mortal man. So the message that we declare is nothing to do with us. And it's everything to do with Christ. We preach Jesus, right? And ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Verse 6. Check this out. This is the second verse I really wanted to get to here in this passage. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness. It's, this is a reference back to Genesis chapter 1. The, the God who shined in, in that dark creation and said, let there be light. Has shined a light in our hearts. He said, let the light come on in Nan's heart. Let the light come on in Mike's heart. Let the light come on in Jasmine's heart. He commanded the light to shine in your heart. I go through and name every one of you, but you'd all be mad because you'd miss lunch. <laughs> if you're saved, it's because Jesus has commanded the light to shine in your heart. Amen? He's caused the light to shine in our hearts. And to give light, here's the reason that light shines, to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, he shined a light in our hearts so that as we look into the face of Jesus, we can see the glory of God. That glory that, that, that Moses desired to see, remember when Moses hit himself? God said, go hide yourself in that little cave over there, and I'm going to pass by, and you're just going to get a glimpse of, of, of my passings by. Right? You'll, you'll see my, my brake lights. It's about all you're going to get to see, because if you really saw my glory, you couldn't handle it. That glory that Moses desired to see, we've got a glimpse of it. A greater glimpse than anything he could have ever uh, captured in that little cave, peering out the crack, catching the tail end of God as he passed by. We have a greater 
revelation of who our God is because he has shined the light of, our, the, light of, of the gospel in our hearts so that we could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? God is re- revealed to us. The glory of God revealed to us when we look at Jesus Christ. If you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. He is the express image of the living God. Amen? He came to reveal God to us. And then check out verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. See? All of this treasure, this glory, the light of the gospel that has shined the light into our hearts. We have that treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency and the power may be of God and not of us. If you're born again, you're a God container. You're a glory container. You carry the light of the gospel inside of you. God has done a glorious work, a transformative work. And sometimes it's not always on display because of our little clay pots. Right? But this is the ministry that God has given us. Amen? Again, let's look at the analogy that we used a minute ago. It starts with us beholding Jesus, desiring Jesus. That's where it starts. It starts with considering him. Contemplating Christ and what he has done. The God of glory was born of a virgin in a manger and lived on this earth for 33 years and went about for three years doing miracles. And just contemplate Jesus. Man, it does our souls good. Think about that Jesus walking on water. Think about that Jesus who turned the water into wine. Think about Jesus who healed that blind man. Think about Jesus who delivered the demoniac of Gadara. Think of Jesus who saved prostitutes. See, as we contemplate him, man, what it does for our souls. It's what the psalmist was talking about when we said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, if you will just savor Jesus, if you will just take a bite, if you'll just uh, get a glimpse into the word, just read a scripture or two, man, what it does to begin to change our soul and to stir within us hunger. Amen? Think about your favorite food. For me, Thai curry. Mm. In fact, Masamam curry from Sawadi in Bloomington, Minnesota. I could eat six plates of it. Every time we go to uh, that, that restaurant, I come away hurting. Because once you take one bite, you can't stop eating it. That's the way it is with Jesus. Taste and see. You get one experience, one encounter, one taste of the goodness of our God in Christ Jesus. And it stirs in you a spiritual hunger and creates a devotion. 
It doesn't, a devotion where it's not hard to read your Bible, a devotion where it's not a hard thing to fast, where it's not hard for you to pray, it's not hard for you to serve, it's not hard for you to witness to people at the grocery store, it's not hard for you to live the way that God intended for you to live because you have a devotion that's burning on the inside. It's not hard for me to love my wife because there's a devotion, right? Gentlemen, keep dating your wife. We go out once a week, whether she wants to or not. We try. It works almost every week. Devotion. Right? Desiring Jesus. Spiritual hunger. Devotion. Eternal life. Abundant life. Joy. Peace, hope, it all starts where? Looking at Jesus, contemplating his goodness, thinking about all that he has done. Survey the cross of Christ. Look at the things that he suffered for you. Contemplate that and see if it doesn't change your world. I promise you it will. All right, I've got one more passage and I'm going to do my best just to read this one. Is that all right? It's a good one. We're going back to Colossians, because I want us to see this. Man, I think we've laid a really strong foundation. Jesus is all we need. That's what we've been saying for four weeks. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let's, let's read. We're going to read the, the majority of this chapter here. If then you were raised, this is a New King James Version. If then you were raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm looking forward to that day. Therefore, put to death your members which are here on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So this is where we live as fallen humans. This is why we need a savior. Because reality, this is every one of us who's entered into this world, this is the state and the condition of our heart. We are covetous. We're immoral. We're without God. Right? Evil. We're controlled by our passions and desires. What salvation does, it moves us out of the grip of Satan. We have been led captive by Satan into a prison. And we are liberated through the salvation of Jesus from that bondage. And we no longer serve our flesh. We're no longer bound or controlled. Not only did Jesus deal with the, the penalty of your sin, like get out of hell free card. He dealt with the power of sin. When Jesus died on the cross and got up out of that grave and ascended to the right hand, sin no longer has power over us who believe. Amen? 
And so it moves us from serving our flesh and the passions and our desires, our greed, our lust, all of these things, covetousness and envy and all these things that, that, that once controlled us. And it liberates us to a freedom in our minds. There's this idea that we're supposed to live in the spirit, not be intellectual at all. It's nonsense. The spirit of God, it, it engages our minds. It helps us to think right. Not to see through those same perverted lenses that we, the, 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 the foggy, like when I'm trying to read my Bible, that's what it's like trying to understand the ways of God without the glasses. The spirit is the glass that makes everything clear. Right? This is why Paul would write in Galatians, it is for freedom that you have been freed. Jesus didn't free you so you could keep on envying and lusting and gossiping and backbiting and lying and whatever. He freed you for freedom, for an abundant life, right? That'd mean a life without suffering, but we can go through suffering with a different outlook. We go through suffering with hope. We go through suffering with joy. We go through suffering with peace. Why? Because of him who endured such things. We've considered it, and it's changed our outlook. All right, I said I was going to read this. Let's get back to it. Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put all of these anger, wrath, malice, put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put the old man in his deed, put, put off, I'm sorry, the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. There's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Read that one more time. Be thankful. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's what it's about. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, in light, in truth. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's why we do this on Sunday morning. We're declaring the goodness of God. We're declaring the gospel and the songs that we sing. 
we're proclaiming his glory. We're pointing to Jesus. Last verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Amen. Let's stand together. I want to do this strong today. God loves you. And God desires relationship with you. God's desire, God's plan, God's intention was that we would all be like Jesus. And that every one of us would live an abundant life. The reality is there is no life outside of him. If you are not in Christ, then you are dead. Spiritually, you're dead. Well, I'm a spiritual person. Not if you're outside of Christ. If you have not been born again, you are dead. You're may, you may be super spiritual. You may sound like a, uh, some kind of a philosopher, but you're dead. We are only alive in him, period. God loves you. His intentions for you are good. He has a plan for your life. He desires to walk in relationship with each and every one of us. If you haven't given your life to the Lord today, I want to give you an invitation right now to come and do that. I want to meet you here in this altar, and I want to pray with you. I want to do this strong today. I would love for our church just to stick around, not move, and just give a moment for anybody who might want to come and experience Jesus, the reality of him, to be transferred today from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from bondage to freedom, from despair to hope, from torment to joy. Because apart from Christ, there is no life. You're not really living. There's an old Hebrew proverb that says, he who is born once dies twice. And he who is born twice will die once. It's exactly what Jesus was saying when he said, you will not see the kingdom of heaven unless you be born again. We have to be born again or we will die. We will taste second death. Not only will we die the death that we know in this world, but there is eternal death. But if we're born again, when we die, it says it's a doorway into the next life, eternity. Life with Christ. Amen. So I'm going to put this microphone down. If you want to receive Christ in your heart, I'd love to invite you to walk down this aisle. I would love to pray with you today.